Disclaimer. The views about to be presented are those of a Christian layperson. If you have any questions or have any nagging concerns, please talk to your pastor. In general, talk to your pastor before starting any theological diets. Side effects of this podcast may include an unusual affinity for candles, a desire to be bored, a growth in interest on every single topic under the sun, and the obsessive desire to talk about whatever's on your mind. Talk to your pastor if you have any theological concerns after listening to this podcast. And if you have any non-theological concerns, feel free to hit me up in the comments. Let's begin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This is the first article of the Apostles' Creed. And it is the source from which we get the distinction between what we call first article and second article or third article gifts. Like first article gifts are defined as the parts of the created world as, as uh, dictated by God the Father. You know, the first chapters of Genesis speak of this particular creation. God speaks the world into being. And after every day of creation, he looks at the world and he says, it is good. God said, let there be light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Right? And it was good. Now, mixing order up a little bit there, yeah. But when God made the order, he made it, he made it, and he made it orderly. And one of the reasons that Christianity is so historically well-connected with science and the scientific method is because Christians believe in an orderly creator of an orderly universe. And the idea that flowed from that very naturally was that there would be the ability to understand that order and then utilize that order to serve the neighbor. Understanding the first article, therefore, is a study of seeking to find the ways that God placed order into creation and that we can use that order, use the structures, use the the nature of the creation to serve our neighbor. Now, there's also connected with this, you know, second article realities. You know, the fact that we broke the world, right? And we had to be redeemed because of that. But if we simply look at the order of the universe, we can, we can look at it and say, we can learn things from this, right? We, we can tell that atoms have some sort of structure behind them, some sort of logic that that the human body works together in a very specific way. We can study the, the stars and the heavens and see the, the orbit of the planets and draw conclusions based on those, on those orbits about the, the way that the universe works. We can look at chemicals and see how they interact with one another to allow us to do various things. We can look at the, the pieces of the earth and use them to create technologies. So because there's an orderly creator who has given us these, these things to study and also given us other people to help, well, let's get to it, right? Let's, let's study the world. Let's see if we can develop methods of serving one another by studying the natural world. This is one of the reasons why, as Christians... We, we need to look at evolution quite critically in that 
the idea of macroevolution is obviously counter-scriptural and honestly factually ridiculous. The odds of abiogenesis, that is, the odds of life coming from nothing, are so astronomically high as to make it reasonably prohibitively impossible, right? The, the odds of creating something of the complexity of a single protein out of random chance is, is so close to impossible it may as well be from a mathematical perspective, right? I mean, imagine uh, uh, the number 10, right? And, and raise that to the power of 46, all right? 10 to the power of 46, that's 46 zeros. If you've got some time, take a piece of paper and, and write down 46 zeros. And then imagine you have to iterate through them and count one by one. I will give you every single moment, every microsecond in 13 billion years or trillion years. Give me you know, give me a trillion. Sure, I'll give you 13 trillion years every single microsecond. And I'll give you every single um, atom in the known universe. And at this point in history, you still won't get there. You, you just can't. You still will not have enough opportunities to count to 46 zeros. That's what evolution is claiming that it happened. Why? Because, well, we we're here, so we had to be evolution, right? Well, no, no, that's not how it works. But we do have to give evolution this, micro-evolution. The idea that, that systems are going to move towards their... Uh, point of least energy, and that system can adapt to new environments. You know, these are somewhat evolutionary principles, right? And this is the, the backbone that created macroevolution, the observation of the creation adapting to different environments is what inspired macroevolutionary theory. Without the observation that systems will adapt to change, this, this wouldn't have been conceivable. But, but isn't it beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful piece of nature? That it is, it is natural. It is part of the created order that a system will adapt to change, to enter, enter stability with it. And the thing is, we can observe this with ideas as well. All right? this, is why, this is why ideas need to be robust. It's because oftentimes when you enter a different environment, the idea adapts. The idea changes to, to better serve it. So a lie will adapt to the environment to try and make itself more, more effective. A, a philosophy will adapt to a different environment in the attempt to, to make itself palatable to a specific population. And, and this partially just comes up because different you know, areas of time bring up these ideas relatively cyclically, but it partially exists because ideas are resilient and the most resilient ideas will continue to arise. Even bad ideas, if they're resilient, will keep coming back. This is the issue with fascism. Right? I'm, re I'm right now reading a book by uh, Jean Edward Reith about fascism, and it's, it's fascinating to hear how it has continued to plague us over the last hundred years. You know, this, I, this belief that the transcendent truth is impossible to know. So, so ideas, ideas can fit into this, this 
segment, and I think the biggest the biggest issue, the biggest well, false theology that's coming up recently is seems to be Gnosticism, right? That seems to be the spirit of our age, if you catch the pun, uh, because Gnostics are are ones who emphasize spiritual teachings, right? They, they want you to focus on your spirit and and de-emphasize tradition and um, doctrine, right? This is the kind of, oh, just get a feeling. Well, I had an experience. This heralds back to the fire and the staff in the, you know, are we witnesses? A witness will tell you about what he felt, what he experienced. A confessor will tell you what he heard, what he was told. A confessor can speak the truth. A witness speaks their experience. American evangelicals are functional Gnostics. So what what is my uh, what is going through my head? Why am I bringing this up? Because I had a I had a conversation with a, a couple different friends, and one of the things that came into my mind um, was the realization that well, we keep talking in the creed, and and we go through Christ's redemptive work, you know, in the second article of the creed, you know, his his birth, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension, and and then we talk about. Oh, and, and coming is coming again, right? To judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end, all right? So there's the first hint of where I'm going with this. And the second hint comes at the very end. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. I believe in the resurrection of the body. When, when we hear of the resurrection of the body in the Bible, it does not differentiate between the believers and the unbelievers. The Athanasian Creed is fantastic at this. Um, on a quick side note, I learned to, to memorize the Athanasian Creed as a kid, and then I forgot because I'm not good at that. Uh, but then I relearned it by finding a two-and-a-half-minute piece of music which had a good beat, and so I put the entire creed to that beat, and it worked. You know, I'm still rusty a couple spaces, but I can, I can call it to memory anytime I hear the song. It's great. Um, it's actually a remix of Megalovania, so... Um, that may be coming down the pipeline eventually. But the Athanasian Creed uh, makes a very good confession of this at the end. At his coming, who's coming? Well, Jesus' second coming, right? He ascended, he, uh, he will also descend. Um, uh, come, oh, he will return again to, to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies. And, and it struck me finally, I don't know why it took me so long to realize this, but that means every human being is immortal. Every one of them. Not just Christians. Not just those who believe in Jesus. Every human being who has ever existed is immortal. Is going to be alive at the end of days. You know, God's, God's magnificent work of salvation is so magnificent that he has actually completely overridden all, all of our sinful, you know, self-inflicted pain, right? When we chose to die, we chose to be the arbiters of good and evil. And as such, we died because what God said was, well, when you take it upon yourself to be the arbiters of morality, you will die. Because you'll that's because you're moving apart from my words, right? And then we did, and we moved away from his words. We broke God's law and said, "Well, we're in charge now. I think I think we should probably check it out. You never know, 
Um, food looks pretty good. Right? What, a, what a terrible deception. And every man since then has died. Every single one. Right? Seth was made in the image of Adam. And we are children of Seth. We're children of Noah. Noah's sons were made in his image, which is the image of Adam, which is a dead image. And that image means that our bodies will decay, will die. But Christ's resurrection, right? The first guy to rise from the dead is taking us all with him. Even the unbelievers. And this, this realization was just so strange because it seems that so often we have this idea of, oh, well, people have these, they're immortal spirits, right? Everyone is, everyone has inherent value because they have immortal spirits, immortal souls. I'm like, yeah, sure, they do. Good point. Good point. Valid point. But they also have immortal bodies. Every person has an immortal body. Now, the, the bodies we have right now are still racked with sin. They are not fully redeemed. The souls of, of, of men can be uh, cleaned, cleansed, purified with water, oddly enough, um, in baptism, right? Because that's what God does. He's like, all right, you know what? Your soul is icky, it's dirty, it's filthy. It is nothing. It is actively rebellious. I'm going to wash it up. There you go. You got my name on you. You're clean. The soul is clean. Awesome. Oh, that is such a glorious promise. And I don't want to diminish that at all. The 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 fact that our souls are are cleansed by, by God, you know, the, that he, he has purified us in that regard is, is great, great news. But it gets even better because our bodies are going to get the same thing happening, right? The, the healing factor that we have inherently in our bodies, whatever healing it is, isn't good because it fails. There will come a time when our bodies will heal completely perfectly, right? I, I'm imagining, right, you know, Wolverine, the the Marvel character who used to be owned by Fox, right? Hugh Jackman, you know, gets his adamantium claws coming out of his his skin, right? And in the th- movie Logan, right? Good movie, by the way. Very uh, subtly pro-life. Um, the problem is that his healing factor is breaking, and so he's actually starting to hurt. He's actually he's actually starting to suffer the consequences of his his anger. So he can't get angry because whenever he gets angry, it, it just physically drains him. He's dying. And he has to come to terms with that. Um, His body is no longer resurrecting itself. Uh, But when when we rise again, when we are finally brought back to life, it's not just going to be the same, you know, old schmucky thing. It's going to be perfect. This body that I have will be perfected in the same way that my soul has been perfected through baptism, has been cleaned through baptism, by, by God's promise. So this, this overemphasis, and, and, and frankly, the Gnostic heresy, that the body doesn't matter is so wrong. I do want to emphasize I'm not trying to overcorrect. The soul is important, and we need to remember that the first article gifts are limited in that everything will burn, right? When he comes again, he's going to destroy the earth. He's going to recreate the earth. We're going to get a new earth, right? All our wonderful, glorious highways are going to be gone, We'll get something different, something better, frankly. But while we're here, right, while we are in this this temporary period where we are here with other people who have immortal bodies that have to die, what, what what should we be 
talking about? What should we be thinking about in terms of our bodies? How should we be approaching them? Should we approach our bodies with the idea that I can eat whatever I want, I can drink whatever I want, I can go around doing whatever I want with my body because it doesn't matter. I don't have to lift weights. That's, that's, that's not important. I shouldn't go for a run. That's unimportant. I shouldn't have some, some cognizance of what my body is like because I'm, I'm a spirit person. I mean, we act functionally like Gnostics a lot of the time. Now, maybe we do have the understanding, I, I should do this, I should take care of my body, but I, I don't know. Maybe part of this is, as you listeners of the podcast know, I've, I've gone on a, a diet. You know, I'm trying the ketogenic diet, low carbs. Um, I'm going to be moving into carnivore here in a few weeks for Lent, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, because it's, it's as, I'm asking myself, what can I do to keep my body in good condition? Because my body is my body. Now, in the same way that I ought to be seeking to discipline my soul, discipline my, or my flesh, you know, whatever it is, discipline myself, right? The good that I would do, I don't do. So I should try to do it, right? And when, it is, when, it, when I do the thing that I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin which dwells in me. And so what should I do? Mortify it. Kill it. Kill that sinful flesh. Yes. And part of that sinful flesh is the fact that I really, really liked pizza. I really do. But the thing is, American pizza is really bad. And honestly, what else did I like? I, um, I liked the occasional Oreos. Um, and I, I really liked crackers. Oh, some crackers are just really, really good. But the thing is... I've been I've been well off without them. And in fact, I feel better having I, right now on the ketogenic diet. I feel better. And part of that is I'm just trying to ask myself, what is what does my body need? Not what does my body want? Because I already know that what my body wants isn't always good. So part of a good thing about dieting is it's it's a good way to look at yourself and say, what's good, what's actually healthy, and what am I doing because of culture, because of Expectation because this is just what you do. Because this is what we've done for the past, I don't know, 100 years. Not even like all of human existence. 100 years. So if if our bodies are eternal too, if our bodies are eternal and we're, we are seeking now to, to do what is right with our bodies, right, by serving our neighbor properly, by by, by trying to mortify the, 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 the flesh that, that's inside of us wanting to do evil, if we're trying to kill that, why can't we try to do right by our bodies as well, right? Why can't we try to do right by our bodies? To seek to have them healthy, to cut down the risk of heart disease or, or diabetes by looking at what we're taking into our bodies and how our bodies work. What if we were tried to try and say, well, we're going to look out for our children because we believe that their health is important as well because we understand the overburdening of the health system. So in order to serve my neighbor, I'm going to live a healthy lifestyle and encourage my neighbor to do so as well. Even if it means I don't get um, cheesy, uh, whatever, cheesy tater tots. Even if, even if that means I have to sacrifice my favorite desserts, I need to do that because my body can't handle that because I need to live a healthy life. Because my body is good. It's, it's not entirely good, no. But the fact that I have one, it is given to me by God, and he's bringing it back. 
It's not, it's not going to rot forever, right? The Viking funerals where they would send off the, the body and they'd burn it. And his spirit will, you know, what is it the, the, from the Lord of the Rings, right? His spirit will, will find its way to the hall of, our anse- of his ancestors, of your ancestors, right? You know, you're going to give me flack for not remembering that, uh, I'm sure. But we're not, that's not where we end. That is not where we end. I mean, heck, even in, um, even in the Lord of the Rings, right? Even in, in that, that great world, Turin to Rambar comes back from the dead to fight Morgoth at the end of days. Right, the man who most suffered under his hand gets to come back and, and finish him off. Oh, that's great. Now the thing is we're not we're not doing that because the, the battle's over. And it's it's amazing. But when 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 Christ does return, we have bodies. We have bodies. And the unbeliever will too. They're gonna have bodies too. So what confession can we make about what we believe about eternal bodies now? What should we be doing? Now, to tell people that we think bodies matter, that we think that human beings matter, right? Imagine the confession it makes. If we look at the unborn and we say, yeah, they're, they're, gonna get, they're not going to stay that way, right? They're going to be raised again. They're, they're coming back because they're human beings. They will be raised from the dead. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, right? All the people who have, have gone before, before us, whether they're believers or unbelievers, Genghis Khan is coming back from the dead. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a crazy movie. Teddy Roosevelt is coming back from the dead. Abraham Lincoln is coming back to steal your state's rights. Um, you know, and I know it's a complicated issue. I'm, 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 I'm joking. It's a, I'll talk about that some other day. But, but these guys are coming back. Right, Pontius Pilate's coming back from the dead. I also uh, recently read a book uh, by Paul Meyer about that, about him. A fictitious, fictitious book, uh, which dramatizes uh, Pontius Pilate and tries to basically give you an overview of the world of Jesus uh, from his perspective, where he creates historical fiction. The story is actually rather well told, um, and I got to interestingly learn that his wife is uh, traditionally known to have become a Christian. Right which I, I think is an absolutely fantastic thing. We'll meet her, right? This is the other, this is, all right, fine. This is the other book that I've been reading, right? A Martyr's Faith for a Faithless World or in a Faithless World by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. He, he goes through several of the martyrs who suffered for the faith and, and gave their lives for the faith. And he ends every single one of his little um highlights on these these martyrs right before before going into his his doctrinal uh explanations he he always gives a small interlude to tell the story of these martyrs and at the end of each one of those he says we'll meet them in the resurrection we'll meet this person in the resurrection right we'll get to meet saint stephen in the resurrection we'll get to meet paul in the resurrection not just, and, and you, you know, when we get to meet Jesus too, it's great. And we get to meet Abraham. We're going to meet David. We get to meet Noah. We get to meet, we get to meet Abel in the resurrection, right? Abel's coming back to life. We get to meet all the, the people who have died in Christ. We will also know that all those who died apart from him will still be raised from the dead that they also 
are given new bodies, but theirs, theirs is not a, a, a judgment of promise. Theirs is a judgment of condemnation. Right? They, when they look upon their own works and they seek to justify themselves, will find nothing but insufficiency. And because they have actively rejected Christ's vicarious satisfaction, they will be condemned. Body and soul. Right? And that's, honestly, I, I think we've, we've shied away a little bit from that because we've become scared to talk about hell. Because we know people don't like to talk about hell. They don't like when we talk about hell. But the thing is, that's what makes it really, really terrifying. You're, I had a, a pastor at one of the, the Higher Things conferences I went to explain it this way, right? Imagine you have a perfect body. And your perfect body is always going to, to heal itself. And so all of the little nerve endings on your finger are always going to heal themselves. So no matter how much you try to burn them, they're always there. And the way that your mind ignores pain, all right, a little bit traumatic here, right? But the way that you learn to dull pain is because your mind just, the, the synapse gets so overloaded that you eventually just can't process it. But imagine if you're, you don't get overloaded with pain. If you're constantly able to feel everything, every part of your body is at, in the same moment being consumed and burned and, you know, it's, it's awful, right? For the sake of, of y'all who are maybe not of the greatest uh, constitution, I'll leave it at that because it could get a lot more gruesome. Thank, thank God, literally, thank God that that is, you know, even though that's what we deserve, right? That's what we wanted was death, was, was that, that kind of punishment is what we asked for. And yet we don't have to go through it because, because of Christ. Because he suffered, he suffered the punishment once for all. And all we say is amen, right? Because he's washed us, he's, he's claimed us. It's great. But, but that's not just, that's not just a spiritual thing. And I really, that was what really struck me is, how much does the first article matter now? How much does my body matter in how I live with my neighbors, in the confession I make about what I believe, right? If I go around and I think I can eat whatever I want to eat, I can do whatever I want to do, it doesn't matter if I'm not healthy. Or on the other hand, if I abuse it and I say the greatest thing in my life is physical well-being and I have to be, I have to get a six-pack because otherwise I'm not, a, you know, both are, both are abuses, but I, I would argue that right now we live in a Gnostic age, especially if you look at issues like transgenderism, hello, you know, or heck, let's get back to it. Uh, homosexuality comes from what? A, a denial of God's, you know, gift of the body that it is purposeful, that men and women are different. And I'll get into that another day. But men and women are fundamentally different. And, you know, we need to we need to acknowledge that this difference exists and it exists for a reason and it's not going away anytime soon. Now, maybe some of the reasons behind that may go away. We don't know. I'm not going to get into that because theologically, I've not been, I, I'm not qualified to talk on that issue about you know what is you know sex going to be like in heaven. You know, and not as in like intercourse, but as in the nature of sexuality in the resurrection is I don't know. Um, but it's not leaving because the body the body isn't going anywhere, right? 
Jesus is a man. Jesus is a man in heaven. Right? He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Where's the Father? Right. Once you can point him out to me and you can tell me that the Father's there and he's not here, then Jesus is there and not somewhere else. Right? The moment you can say that God the Father is not able to to be somewhere, then then you can say that Jesus is not able to be there either. That's a little dig at y'all Calvinists. Um, but but to get back to it, right? There's a man in charge of the universe with a physical body that has a bunch of holes in it. He's got holes in his feet. He's got holes in his hands. He probably has some some scar marks on his back where he was scourged. He's got incisions where where a crown of thorns went into his 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 forehead and his head and 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 he bled from there he may have a couple bruises maybe from uh, where he was struck by roman guards and he's got a big so- hole in his side you know how far in does it go could, could it just go all the way to his heart i'd love to see that i look forward to seeing it because when christ rose from the dead right he goes to thomas in the upper room and he says, reach your hand here and look at, my, look at my hands, right? Reach your fingers and put them into my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Put it into my side. The, the resurrected body of Christ bears the wounds that won for us the resurrection and the forgiveness that comes in that resurrection. And if that, if that good thing, if that good holy body with his holy wounds is there, if we're going to be able to we're going to be able to touch it we will have the physical so should we continue in carbs that grace may abound should we continue in sugars that grace may abound shall we continue in high fructose that grace may abound no no now now am i saying you sh- you know if you're if you're not doing a ketogenic or car- carnivore diet you're sinning no i'm not saying that what i am saying is as christians we have a responsibility if we fundamentally do believe, and we do, that all people will rise again with their bodies, and we also believe that God created our bodies, right? That he gave us these bodies. We're responsible for them being imperfect, yes, but he did give them to us nonetheless. And we have a responsibility to be stewards of creation. And that stewardship includes the thing that God gave us all first, our lives and bodies, and and we should not try to drive a wedge between the two. We should rather, we should rather cherish both our bodies and our neighbor's bodies according to the fifth commandment and understand that letting them go to any old abuse is violation of what God's created order should be. But rather, if we look at it and we are proper stewards, if we take care of our bodies, if we seek to do what we can to understand how they work so that we can use them the way that they're supposed to be used. Understanding they will die, but understanding they'll also rise again. Understanding that we value the body. Then maybe it gets a little easier to tell people that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come.